the first thing was, well, if we do go to this new model with all of this blockchain stuff, we have securities on blockchain and trade finance on blockchain and all the rest of it, is it really going to deliver all of those efficiencies? And the answer was yes, but you're going to need an on-chain means of payment. And so the first question became, well, if you have this on-chain means of payment for the wholesale markets, what are the design criteria for that on-chain means of payment? Hi, I'm Connor Svensson, founder of Web3 Labs and your host of the Web3 Innovators podcast, where you'll hear from those folk changing the face of finance and other industries with Web3 and blockchain technologies. Each week, I speak to a new guest who shares insights from their own journey with Web3, giving you a chance to learn about the challenges they've faced along the way and how it's impacting their industry right now and will in the future. If you enjoy this episode, please remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating and review, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. So my guest today is Ramayas Ram, the CEO of Finality. Finality was founded to create a network of decentralized financial market infrastructures to deliver the means of payment on chain in tomorrow's wholesale banking markets. Prior to Finality, he was global head of product management for transaction banking at Deutsche Bank, and before this worked across a wide range of functions within the wholesale banking industry. Rom, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Uh, thanks a lot, Connor. It's a delight to be here and many thanks for the invitation. Really looking forward to it. So what was your first exposure to Web3? And what, what was the point where you thought, hold on a sec, this isn't just a load of hype and hand waving, but there's actually something interesting here? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know whether I can be as specific as Web3. I could tell you a little bit about when I first got interested in blockchain, which was back in 2013. I guess I'll, I'll try and answer the Web3 thing a little bit later, but it's been more of a, probably more the same as everybody else. I've become more aware of it as time has gone on. To take you back to the whole blockchain introduction, I was, I was actually still working at Deutsche Bank in um, transaction banking, and I, I was accountable for payments and um, product management for payments and trade finance and the securities, etc. Of a bunch of non-technical folks on the executive committee, I was probably the most technical. So I kind of got the task of... Um, what is this Bitcoin thing and is it going to have anything to do with finance and all of that sort of stuff? So I, I spent a summer kind of um, looking into it and trying to learn about it and came away a little bit, um, I don't know, evangelical <laughs> around the whole topic. So, you know, when I think back to what I really understood at that time, not very much. I was looking at it from a banker, a traditional banker's perspective and thinking, oh, yeah, this is just all about, um, you know, efficiency. And it's great that you've got a, a logically centralized database and it's a bit resilient and, and so on. That'd be awesome if we could all see all the transactions all the time. So that was kind of you know, where my head was at. Obviously, I've been on a journey since then. I think if I, if I define Web3 as um, this whole concept of um, more decentralized ownership by um, groups of people that are interested in um, particular networks, I think I first became aware of that actually um, once I'd left Deutsche and I started really getting involved in, in the kind of the finality. Well, at the time, finality was a research project called USC. And I started first getting involved um, uh, into that concept then, but we didn't call it Web3. So one of the things that we were looking at is how do we get the shareholders to be incentivized to take care of the network and increase the resilience and all of that. And, um, uh, you know, obviously blockchain with um, you know, Ethereum or Bitcoin had a methodology whereby the coin was kind of um, also the thing that secured the network and, and incentivized the participants to behave, et cetera, et cetera. When we were looking at it from the perspective of what we wanted to do with um, finality, we were thinking, well, we, couldn't pr we probably couldn't use a coin in exactly the same way, but was there some legal structure out there that um, mimicked exactly what was going on in, in the crypto space? And the answer we came up with was actually you know what, this has actually existed in, in um, the 
in financial markets for many years, it's actually a member mutual type structure. So it existed in, for the exchanges, you know, kind of pre-demutualization. I guess there were a lot of um, insurance companies and so on that all had this type of structure. And so kind of there was always this thinking, even in finality, about how do we um, make sure that we have the participants also interested in the welfare of the, um, you know, of the of the system itself. We didn't, we haven't necessarily accomplished it in the same way as the crypto space has, and obviously haven't really thought about it in the way that Web three is currently going. But there is some of that thinking embedded in the finality proposition. And and with this kind of transition into what was the ut- utility settlement coin project that started, was it 2014 or 2015? It's certainly been, been around for a long time, the, the, the ideas there. I think it might have been a conversation between some people in 2015. I guess it kind of kicked off at late 2016. I got involved in 2017. The first part of it was really kind of what are the design criteria? Like, well, so the genesis of this was there are all of these proofs of concepts going on in the in the traditional finance space around blockchain and can it actually bring the efficiencies kind of like I talked about earlier, you know, the market wanted because when when you really look at it, one of the biggest um, problems for capital markets is uh, an efficiency problem. So they've got a model that was effectively built in an era where the use of balance sheet was unlimited. So the problem was basically how many transactions can you get through the door <laughs> And yeah, how efficiently can you do that? So built a lot of big machines, outsourced a lot of operations, et cetera, et cetera, and created actually quite a big fixed cost base to deal with the number of transactions that were going on. Post 2007, kind of the world changed, obviously, and um, uh, balance sheet became a much more scarce resource. But the cost of that infrastructure kind of stuck. You couldn't really squeeze it down because it it was kind of infiltrated into everything that was going on in um, um, capital markets. And so from the perspective of traditional capital markets folks, they're kind of thinking, well, this blockchain thing offers an opportunity to to really make a difference in that cost base by creating a new model. So the reason I'm telling you that is the first thing was, well, if we do go to this new model with all of this blockchain stuff, we have securities on blockchain and trade finance on blockchain and all the rest of it, is it really going to deliver all of those uh, efficiencies? And the answer was yes, but you're going to need an on-chain means of payment. So basically what the thing that you described in the intro to finality. And so the first question became, well, if you have this on-chain means of payment for the wholesale markets, what are the design criteria for that on-chain means of payment? And the answer was basically there's there's three things. So it needs to have the credit quality of a central bank because you can't settle in money that is some other, you know, like um, you can't settle in um, what JP Morgan has a coin. So it would be very difficult for Citibank to settle with Wells Fargo in JP coin because all you'd be doing is switching the exposure of Citibank from to, to JP Morgan. You'd just be giving that same exposure to, um, to to Wells Fargo. You wouldn't have actually really changed the overall risk profile of what was going on for you know for those ba- the, for those banks combined. So that's kind of one criteria. The second criteria was you needed to have something called um, settlement finality, and so essentially that is the way by which when a transaction is completed, like you've made the payment, basically all of the obligations of the transaction are discharged. So or, or the, of the con- underlying contract are discharged. So the reason for that is obviously in wholesale markets, there's millions upon millions of dollars or pounds or euros that are getting transacted every day. And if you have the ability to unwind one of those payments somewhere during the day, there'd be other payments that happened on the back of it that would also have to unwind because of course their money wouldn't have been 
whole, et cetera, et cetera. So you have that, um, you have that also on top of it. The, um, the last one was more to do with uh, a philosophy around whether we thought there was going to be a single blockchain or multiple blockchains. So we, we, we believe there was going to be multiple blockchains and it needed to have interoperability to deal with all the different blockchains that were going to deal with the various use cases that came, came out. So back, started back in 2016, the first part was um, creating those design criteria. The second part, which is the part where I started to get more involved in, was um, actually about okay, we've got these design criteria. A, is it possible to do? So a lot of technical and legal work around, can we, like, how do we achieve this? Um, actually, started the, that, that's the point we started the conversations with the various central banks to see, you know, how we could work with them, you know, depending on what we needed, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, uh, from 2018 to 2019, it was really about, okay, we know what the design criteria are. We know we can do it kind of, um, is it commercially, would it be commercially viable? So create the business plan to get invested. And that's, you know, so we ended up in 2019 getting the money to go ahead and create finality and, and make this a reality. Oh, that was weird. <laughs> well, and, and just to kind of add a little bit more um, in, in, well, understanding for some people anyway, what, why are the central banks important in all of this? Because you're talking about the bank to bank transactions and you know, the wholesale market is full of all of these regulated entities sending funds back and forth and uh, throughout the day. But uh, you, you mentioned, the, mentioned the central banks in the picture there too. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, one of the key criteria is the funds, the coin, if to one of you, for one of the use of, better, of a better term, um, needed to have the credit quality of central bank money. And the reason for that was, you know, I kind of explained it with the Citibank, JP Morgan example. But basically, you know, if JP went under in the middle of these guys making a payment, that, that wasn't going to be very good. So you needed something of higher quality than that. So the question is, how do you get something with central bank credit quality if you're not a central bank, right? And the answer basically was, well, you could open up an account at the central bank and have um, central bank reserves put into that account and then you could effectively keep an accounting record on blockchain of who owned the money in that central bank account, you know, recorded. So you'd have like effectively in the UK, they call it an omnibus account. In the US, they call it a joint account. In, the, in, in Europe, it's a technical account. But it's like you had a joint account with your wife, right? Whose money is it? Well, it's kind of both of yours, right? So who records whose money is it? Well, it's like you hired a lawyer to actually write down like, yes, there's a hundred pounds in that joint account, but you know, fifty pounds is Connor's and fifty pounds belongs to his wife. And like, oh, she she's um gone and purchased a, a pair of shoes, so now she's only got well, I'm I'm talking about a bygone era, but like she, there's only twenty five pounds left <laughs> or whatever. So, you know, you, you get the idea. And and so, so in terms of once uh, finality got the, the the backing from investors, um, you've been there. There was the technology built out, but from what I understand, too, the the actual complexities of the regulation and actually working within such a tightly regulated part of the financial markets that's been where so much effort for the company has uh, has been spent. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so. You know, obviously the technology is quite difficult, but there's many people in the world working on kind of blockchain type solutions. So it's, it, you know, for for an, I would say at this point, it's reasonably well understood, you know, how to how to do the, you know, how to create the technology and, and so on. What was much more difficult is how, without creating a whole bunch of new legislation, how do you fit that technology into the existing um, regulatory environment? And so we've, we, you know, I, I guess in some ways that's kind of our, you know, the thing that we we achieve that nobody else has achieved, like how do we fit it into, you know, the way that the central banks, um, you know, have to govern all of, all of these types of things um, and so on. So just to give you a bit of background, there is a, 
do a, a, a document that was put out by the BIS, I guess, in 2012, that basically lays the framework for how central banks should think about financial market infrastructure in general. And financial market infrastructure in general are payment systems, um, CCPs, trade repositories. There's, 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 there's yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a few other th things like that. But anyway, the one that we're interested in is a payment system. So we thought the best way through was for us to become a payment system. It gave us that that settlement finality thing that I was talking about a little bit earlier. So then, if you're going to be a payment system, you need to conform to whatever the local implementation of the PFMI is. And then the next question became, well, how do you do that from a regulatory perspective? It's this new technology, but is this technology dependent or is it actually a question of just making sure you fit within the framework and then doing all of the things that need to happen um, for you to prove that you are you know, safe and sound and, and so on, like all other um, FMIs out there. So we've been basically spending all of our time ensuring we meet those high standards that um, the, the various overseers um, uh, uh, expect us to achieve in order to be a payment system. So given all of those high standards that you've had to meet, there's in terms of the investors and those people backing the company, there must have been like a lot of confidence, really, that you'd be able to get there. Because this this isn't like a kind of, you know, like like some businesses where it's like a quick you know, year or two, try and get lots and lots of growth there sort of thing. You're dealing with regulators. It's the, the, the landscape is incredibly complex. It moves slowly as well, because there's a whole education piece that you need to do for this. And so... Was was there like an inherent belief in the early days that this, that this 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 could work, and that people really rallied behind it earlier on? And if you had to build the momentum over time, and uh, because it's yeah, it, it's hard what you're trying to do. And yeah, yeah, I, I would do. I would actually say um, it was very much like a traditional fintech in terms of like let's see if we can you know traditional fintech is you know how, how fast the product market fit right. And um, we're, we're nowhere near product market fit yet. There was kind of an assumption that there would be product market fit from the investors because they are the market um, effectively for it. The big question for them was, would central banks ever, first of all, contemplate and then secondarily approve of something like this? So the first stage was to get the central banks to even contemplate um, something like this. And so, um, uh, you know, we've had to have um, our funding came. So this actually relates to like the Nomura money that you, um, um, that, yeah. We, we could talk about but like we've been raising money continually through through the whole process and it's because we've taken effectively a step-by-step -step approach to this of like proving out that first of all we could do the you know first of all we could get design criteria then we could do the technology then we understood the legal work around what we wanted to do the the, the incorporation stage was like basically okay can we can will the will the central banks contemplate something like this answer yes so kind of the proof points around that were for example the bank of england um uh creating a new omnibus account in line with what the thing that we needed, the ECB adapting their policy around their technical account to accommodate wholesale transactions as well as retail transactions, which essentially allows us to go in and do it. So, so those kinds of proof proof points. That still doesn't mean that we are going to get the approval. And now we're in the stage of, thankfully, we're going through the approval process with some of the central banks, and um, and so that will be the next proof point. And every central bank, it takes some amount of money to to get there. So there's different investors that are interested in different ones of the, the central banks. And so they're effectively funding those, you know, us getting to those approvals. And of course, as you get as 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 it becomes more and more clear that um something like us will happen. So let's let's not be too hasty about whether it's going to be us, but let's something like us is going to happen. People get more interested in investing. So that becomes easier. But of course, 
then the next the very next problem after that so i guess i'm thinking more like a entrepreneur here the very next problem as soon as we get those accounts live is well you've got to find product market fit so i'm back to where the you know a normal fintech would have been right at the beginning <laughs> so there's there's always going to be more stages for growth right and it's exactly like get to one one milestone and then it's like okay what's next exactly and and so w- would you say that these these kind of in terms of the biggest challenges that you've faced, has it has it been having to you know work work with the central banks? I mean, not that they're hostile to this in any way, but just in terms of you know b- because of how well tightly controlled these markets are, or are there other areas that you really sort of strike you as where the, the having created big challenges for you to overcome? Well, so we you know we we've had a, a small group of investors um, from the beginning. But, you know, this has always been a journey for the market, right? So the market um, has been taking its time to understand the consequences, you know, the, the consequences of all, all of the things that we're doing. A lot of that interest is driven by, obviously, what's ha- what happens in the kind of DeFi crypto space. And and so it's gone relatively, well, I don't know whether you call it gone slow or gone fast, but it, it, we, the path we've chosen hasn't been as quick as other fintechs. But, yeah, I don't know that it could have been, we're trying to convert um, a whole industry that works in one particular way to a basically a um, kind of a new model, and that that requires a lot of people to get some sort of understanding of what what it is that we're doing, and then you know sort of the next level understanding is how do they apply it to their particular situation, and then the next level is is that to their benefit and all of this kind you know all of this kind of stuff, and I think uh, I wouldn't just put the central banks in that that bucket. I think that's true of the market kind of as um as a whole has been educating itself over over time and so you know when when i first started this this was kind of most people in most banks would have thought this was like what what are you doing (laughs) um i I would say by 2019 particularly because of the whole facebook thing and a little bit of there there'd been the i can't remember which year it was but like maybe 2017 there was a big spike in bitcoin prices and all all, all, all of this sort of stuff so there was there was more awareness and kind of interest but still not you know that was still a thing on the side not a thing that was going to happen in in our market Facebook started to change that, but then, um, you know, kind of there was a very heavy regulatory reaction to that. So people kind of went back to sleep again a little bit in the traditional finance space because like, oh, the regulators never allow that. But actually, I think the last, um, I mean, obviously this has all changed in the last um, seven or eight months, but the the last big spike in in the crypto space with DeFi, et cetera, and the big push towards Web3 has created, at least from what I perceive, a kind of sense of, of inevitability about this change coming. And so I think many more people in the traditional space and instead of thinking, is it going to happen? They're thinking, what is going to happen and how do I position myself? And I think that's the space that we're in now. So people are more receptive to hearing the story and then they just try and work out what that means for them and you know, so on. <laughs> and so in terms of kind of o- overcoming these, I guess, those those challenges, it's it's been in part helped significantly by what what's happened in the, the broader narrative around crypto and nfts and DeFi and the, these 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 sorts of categories there definitely i mean to, so yeah my personal view is there's going to be some sort of convergence um between the traditional finance space and what's going on in the world of crypto and DeFi. i, I don't know exactly what that um convergence would look like but if i was to take a bet on it i think um 
uh, certainly the money parts are going to be somewhat, well, there's going to be some sort of regulation over this whole thing. I mean, I think that's becoming clearer and, and clearer. Well, you know, I don't know the answer to the questions like, uh, you know, is, is it going to be one, you know, permission blockchains or permissionless? I suspect that there's going to be a combination of permissioned and permissionless. So I know lots of crypto enthusiasts say, ah, oh, you don't understand blockchain and that's completely mad and, you know, all, 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 all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, I totally hear that. But coming from the other side as well, I think there's going to be a problem around um, accountability, particularly for things like um, uh, the, the stuff that we're doing. Um, uh, if you have a permissionless um, system, like who who's accountable for making sure that the, uh, you know, the right participants are on there and all, all of that sort of stuff. So I think in the long run, there'll be some some way found for that to happen. But I think in the short run, short run being like 10 years, I don't know that it's going to be easy to get money on um, a, a permissionless blockchain. So my view is there's going to be multiple blockchains in this sort of DeFi space. They're going to be some permission, some permissionless, depending on their what they're trying to do. And that will create this convergence between what's happening in kind of Web3 and the retail space and so on, and what we're you know, kind of the traditional finance space and how it accesses it. So I guess I, I believe there's going to be some sort of convergence. I don't have a strong view of exactly how that convergence is going to occur yeah i think so many people around the world are trying to figure out the ways in which these these two can actually um converge over over the long run yeah um so so what's kind of the, the primary focus for finality at, at, at the moment i know as, as you mentioned recent re- recently you've just uh got got a uh, a new investment um but just you know broadly speaking where, where is this the business at right now yeah, so we're basically busy trying to get our um, payment system up and running in, in the UK. We're also, well, we've got three three jurisdictional focuses, but I'd say we're the most advanced in the UK. We're also very focused, obviously, on the US and the uh, and Europe. And really, that's taking up pretty much all of our time trying to get those um, you know, accounts open and, and so on. I think, um, even though I'd like to say a lower number, it's going to take us the, you know, the best part of, um, you know, the next 12 months, if not slightly longer. So, you know, probably into Christmas at the end of next year, at least to um, uh, uh, succeed with, you know, one or more of uh, all of those, um, all of those, ju- those jurisdictions, you know, and then the problem becomes like, A, which jurisdictions next and B, how do you, beyond our existing investors, how do you get more and more participants on onto the platform? So more and more banks. And so in, in terms of the, uh, I, I guess, the, the currencies that, um, supported um right now you've been you've been focused on on sterling as in gbp um and then you've got the the other big currencies in your sites in terms of was it euros um usd yen uh canadian dollars um, yes yeah. yes and probably um probably put swiss into that category as well and then you know yeah we'll have to wait and see it's, it's like too big to imagine um, <laughs> yeah so it already counts for a pretty sizable chunk yeah. of the market anyway. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. Um, so, so if we, I, I know you touched briefly on this kind of future state of where we, we're getting to, but where where do you kind of see the the financial landscape? How do you how do you see it looking in the future? Now I know there's there's so many different components to it. As you mentioned, like in the context of the BIS report, um, but say say within the payments landscape, you have. Um, the, the work that you're doing, which um, is kind of, it's sort of similar to CDBCs, but I guess it's not quite either from, from you know, in terms of to technically describing it because it's not being issued by a central bank, right? 
Yes. Um, and but then there's these these other parts, and I know recently with uh, the, the talk that you gave with um, the APPG blockchain group, you had this nice kind of chart there, which had this this sort of landscape of you know, commercial money, funds held at central banks, centralized and peer to peer. But how, how how do you kind of see this landscape more broadly in, in sort of ten years down the line? Well, uh, yeah, I, I think the transition you know is gonna is gonna take. Well, so I guess in the long run, I see protocol-based money being the way that people transact. So I guess the reason I'm saying it like that is, yeah, I don't know whether it's going to be just blockchain. Maybe there'll be some centralized, uh, you know, sort of more CFI type systems in there and all of that sort of stuff. So I don't want to get too specific about it. But like essentially a, a, a much less intermediated way of transacting, I think, is, um, uh, is, is where, we're, where, we're, where we're headed. I guess what can I say? I just I don't think we're going to get ourselves out of the existing world super quickly. It's quite risky. You know, payments are like one of the most important thing in you know, actually one of the most important things in the world, especially wholesale payments is like trillions of dollars are uh, uh, moved every single day in, in in each jurisdiction, not to mention all of the foreign exchange stuff. So so I think for the institutions to take the risk to change like all of their payments quickly is going to be quite a big ask. So I think this change is going to happen gradually but I, th- I i do think we are going to migrate to a different model that takes advantage of all of the stuff from the crypto space so it'll be it'll basically be peer-to-peer which means you'll you'll remove the need for these intermediaries to take down risk in the overall system which will then you know allow banks to free up balance sheet for other you know other productive things that they want to do yeah so you'll, you'll still kind of have this split between the other wholesale and i guess the we call it the, the sort of more commercial m- markets, but it will be a lot more efficient and they'll yeah, be, yeah, be yeah. using this kind of peer-to-peer technology. Well, I think, exactly. I think the split is always going to be there while um, we kind of have um, you know, the, the current fractional reserve banking system. And I think the fractional reserve banking system is kind of, well, I want to say where the regulators want us to be, but actually it's kind of a reflection of where society, you know, so the regulators are merely a reflection of society. It's where it's where us as a society en masse um, seem to be comfortable with, it kind of works, et cetera, et cetera. So in that, because there's, a, for the time being at least, um, uh, I can see this two-tier, you know, this two-tier system persisting from a regulatory perspective. It's hard to imagine that we'll, have, we'll not have the split between wholesale and retail part of it second thing is the wholesale retail split is um also a function of just different needs right wholesale has different needs than retail like massively different <laughs> so you know you need different systems um for each of them so um you know like uh anti-financial crime stuff is obviously important in both but becomes much more critical in the retail space speed of transactions you know throughput all of that much more critical in the, the retail space but stability and resilience much more important in the wholesale space so yeah uh, I think that I think I guess I, I think we'll continue with that split. What we're hoping is that we can kind of bring the change into the wholesale space. So um, I'm pretty sure that there will be a change in the retail space. I'm 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 yeah I'm obviously not working on it, but there seem to be many other people um, um, that are. And then find a way for those things to interoperate seamlessly together to make the whole system much better for everyone. Is kind of where I'm hoping it will go. Yes, it sounds sounds like a nice place to be, but also feasible as well which yeah. i think is a, an important <laughs> part of it well well um rom if, if people want to kind of keep keep up with what what's happening with finality or learn more about it um what, what would you encourage them to do 
Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've got quite a lot of information, actually, on our website. So I thoroughly recommend going to our um, uh, to our website and um, downloading some of the papers. We've, we've written pretty extensively about, you know, precisely the mechanics of how our system works. And, um, you know, there's also other opinion pieces about where we think the market's going and, and so on. So hopefully they'll find that pretty interesting, you know, and then of course, reach out to anyone at Finality to, you know, I guess we, we turn up at conferences and so on. So I'm, I'm sure you'll be, it'll be easy to contact us. Awesome. Well, Ron, it's been an absolute pleasure to talking to you today. I've, I'm a big fan of the work of Finality and uh, I'm, yeah, just excited to see it continue to go from strength to strength. Appreciate it, Connor. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode. I have a quick favour to ask. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to it. Leave a five-star rating and review it. Even if it's just a few words, we'd love to hear from you, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Thanks. Until next time.